Welcome, Breakers! You are here in the 30th episode of Project Studio Tea Break. I am Mike Senior, and I am here with audio horse rustler John Whit. <laughs> 30 episodes! 30 episodes. Mike, have we done 30 episodes? It Honestly and truly, it feels like a couple of weeks ago that you hit me up on the phone and said, hey, why don't we try a couple of these? Now here we are, 30 <laughs> episodes later. Yes. And we owe it all to both our listeners uh-huh. Who, uh-huh. who kind of kept us strong, kept us honest. Who now both have more episodes than they can count on the fingers of both hands. Remarkably. But we are still under their hands and toes threshold. It's true, yeah. This for me is when we'll retire. I think we owe it to them to finish off that left foot. <laughs> That's our remaining task. <laughs> oh, good morning, Mike. How are you? How have you earned this month's tea break? I've been getting back into the routine of doing stuff. Okay. And so I've been charging up the buffers of various things that come out regularly. Okay. And in particular, doing quite a lot of writing about commercial tracks, because I have a weekly thing for my patrons that is like reference of the week, where I talk about mixed references. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's a mixed review every week. Naturally. And in the process of all this, I think I've uncovered a Phil Collins conspiracy. If any artist were gonna have a proper conspiracy, I I would hope it were Phil Collins. Mm. Do tell. I mean, these days he is looking more like a mob enforcer every day. <laughs> I mean, behind the cheeky, buster, chappy exterior, mm. you get the feeling he's carrying a drumstick case with something other than drumsticks in it. There's a skeleton in the floor, Tom. No, <laughs> no doubt, no doubt at all. Okay, but like, come on, I, my appetite is whetted. Okay, right. Well, what's the first thing you can tell me about in the air tonight? Gugum, 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 gum, gum. Yeah. It's the same thing that everyone knows. And it was in that Cadbury's advert with a gorilla, which is fantastic. Now, that's one usage of in the end of the night I haven't seen. It was used in Miami Vice, apparently, the first episode of Miami Vice. Oh, really? Okay. And apparently, because it was used there... No one else used it because they kind of felt it had already been kind of used up in that thing and that the connection was too strong. Oh, interesting. But I didn't realise about the Cadbury's advert. Wow, I must check that out. That's a genius advert because it does so little <laughs> to the song. It's, it's whatever it is. It's 30 seconds. Yeah. And the first 24 seconds mm. is just a shot of a person in a gorilla outfit oh. sitting behind a drum set. Always a good start in any advert. <laughs> I think so. Or indeed any science experiment. Uh, you know, any party, any first date Mm. it's really hard to go wrong with a gorilla behind a drum set Mm. and it's like it's the before period of um in the air tonight playing Mm. and you just see the gorilla holding drumsticks yeah and then 25 seconds in it plays that fill then you get about two (laughs) seconds of the after period then it fades into purple and says Cadbury's yeah (laughs) and I was so happy with that advert because it was everything I wanted nothing that I didn't yes and it's lovely that it's so disconnected from the product Mm. it is literally here's something random oh and please buy our chocolate yes we made this cool video Do us a solid, would you? (laughs) (laughs) Boy, that's my Phil Collins reference. I want to know yours. So, you know about the magic break? They call it the magic break, apparently. What, is that the name of the da-dum-ba-ga-dum-ba-ga-dum-ba-dum? Yeah, that's kind of amongst Phil Collins fans, apparently. Okay. Now, where do the drums first come in in the song? Is there a metronomic hat right at the beginning? There's a CR78 drum machine, and that's kind of going tick, 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 going through the track up to that point. Okay, but but we're talking about acoustic drums. Yeah. Now, ah, oh, see, I see the gaping more of a trap <laughs> up ahead of me, but I'm going to give my most honest answer. The drums come in on the first gum of gum 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 gum. Yep, and if you asked, I think anyone. 
where the drums came in, they'd say they come in in the magic break. And before that, there's just this drum machine. That's the whole point of the song. Yeah. Is that that's when the drums come in. But the original single release and the original music video and the original version that he played on Top of the Pops, mm. all of them have drums right from the beginning. No. Yes. What's the point? The record company, at the last moment, when they'd done the album mix, mm. just before it was mastered, said, we can't release this as a single unless it has a backbeat throughout the song. Oh, my God. And so... Phil Collins went back into some random different studio, took the master tape of the album version, mm. and recorded some Tom backbeats over it. <laughs> the whole way through the song. And then they chopped that bit into the verses of the master tape to create the single version. That's so upsetting. And that is the version that went to the top of the charts all over the place and played on MTV oh, and all wow. that kind of stuff. So this song that we know with the airy fairy paddy opening isn't what made those waves. Is the album version. <laughs> and the thing is that it was such a poor judgment call that I think since then, the Phil Collins camp have been doing everything in their power to try and seep into the public consciousness that that wasn't the classic original version. That Yeah, that wasn't what everyone got all excited about. That it's actually the album version is the classic original version. Oh my God. And that process is now complete. Because, have you heard about this new viral reaction video? You know what, Mike? I haven't. Well, you know the idea of reaction videos, where someone plays a track or plays a video or something, and then they react to it while it's playing. Mm, absolutely. And Tim and Fred Williams, who have a YouTube channel called Twins the New Trend, mm. did a reaction video for In the Air Tonight. And they're these two teenagers who clearly have never heard the Phil Collins song before. Oh, you get to watch them hear it the first time. Exactly. The very first time. And they go absolutely mental about it oh remarkable and this was such a popular youtube video i think it within the first three weeks it got six million views <laughs> but what it has done is that their instinctive assumption that in the air tonight is the album version yeah means that everyone now thinks that's the classic version mm. furthermore the reason i tell you this is a conspiracy is because if you go on to amazon prime itunes spotify and look for in the air tonight the single version is nowhere to be found you can't get it. Oh, so not even, it's not even not the top result. It's just not accessible. I, I couldn't find it. And yet you can find various remasters, live versions, remixes. You can even find the original demo version that Phil Collins did. Oh my God. But not the original single release. Bless his heart. He's doing the best to erase from public consciousness. It is the Filluminati. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, look, I don't care if none of what you said before that is true. It would have been worth it just to build up to that pun. So in the single version, they still have the magic break. It just, it comes out of a backbeat. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it still has a lot of impact because it has such a crazy sound. But before that, you've had these kind of quite epic, roomy Tom backbeats. It's mostly on the toms he's playing. Mm -hmm. And it plays the whole way through the verses. And so it does definitely weaken the impact of the magic break. I mean, yeah. Now, you were saying just before we started recording that we'd had some feedback from a listener. The lovely Javen Hughes dropped us an email to compliment the editing of this show. Wow. I know, I know. He said it was, you know, incredibly smooth and natural sounding editing, which I take as a personal insult. <laughs> the implication that this is not just how it comes out. This is not just our natural rapport is 
frankly scandalous. I think so, yeah. And uh, uh, Mr. Hughes, you are hereby banned from our Patreons. <laughs> I, like, I, I don't care. We're going we're gonna to hunt you out if you ever try false names, whatever. We'll, we'll track your IP. I've got a hacker friend. Um, for this smear, mm. the wonderful Mike Senior who edits this show will attest... I hope, mm. that it's entirely a matter of normalising the waveform yeah. and sticking it online. No auto-tune involved. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, actually, podcasts are about the only area where auto-tune isn't involved. <laughs> where auto-tune has no business at all. Yeah, Of course, at this point, one would have to say, auto-tune isn't involved. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I mean, could you actually stick a little bit of auto-tune on some of this? Yeah. G- given... That we've just established how stress-free and time non-invasive the process of editing this podcast is. Absolutely. I mean, there's time left over. Yeah, this is what I feel. Speaking of auto-tune being everywhere, Mm. it's not something I'm particularly proud of, but this past week, I have found myself putting auto-tune on a harmonica track. (laughs) That's good going. And it's it's better. (laughs) Yes. You know what? It's an improvement, and I'm glad I put it on there. Yep. But God, it was a weird feeling decision, because the, the piece in mind is folksy and it's stripped back and it's yeah it's a slow attack it's just that when it starts to drift it's kind of pulled a bit closer it's actually defying my knowledge of the harmonica because I, I thought it was actually quite difficult to play out of tune on a harmonica <laughs> clearly I, I don't understand the mechanics of the instrument i work only with players who push the bounce. i can't even play this myself this is my playing of the harmonica <laughs> oh i see yeah wow i can't even throw a pretend session musician under the bus on this one <laughs> this is my my own harmonica sin but even in this morass of sin it appears that karma is still smiling upon us because this month we also have a new patron a new patron welcome hello miguel welcome to the fold now i know what you're thinking john you think miguel is just a <laughs> wafer thin <laughs> alter ego <laughs> may have crossed my mind briefly <laughs> but i have Cast iron proof that it's not me, in that he hasn't weighed in in the Iron Audi debate. <laughs> oh my goodness. The number of restrained kind of abdicators of their responsibility <laughs> is, is really remarkable. The amount of uh, <laughs> self-control exhibited by, by people who clearly don't have enough self-control to not subscribe to a silly music podcast, but somehow when it comes to <laughs> settling this important global question... Although- I realise I've just shot myself in the foot. Oh, yeah? Because now, if he does vote for me, that proves he is a wafer-thin alter ego. Oh, it does a bit. And he couldn't even vote for you without you saying, oh, well, you're just trying to put up a smoke screen. You give me far too much credit. I mean, I don't know how much integrity you think I have after chatting <laughs> to me every month for a couple of years. But absolutely not. No, if he votes for me, then, then whatever else he does is legitimate. I am therefore honour bound to defend any and all behaviours he chooses from that point onwards. <laughs> and even if it were, Mike, I love the idea that you setting up fake accounts and then voting for me is something I would object to in any way. <laughs> Now, John, as we know, Mm -hmm. for everyone in the industry, this has been a difficult, challenging time. I think that's fair to say. And so it's natural. It's human to get frustrated, to get angry. Mm -hmm. And on those occasions, you just want to tear your hair out. You want to break things. You want to make loud noises. This is all reasonable things that you're saying, and it's making me very nervous, (laughs) which is is good, which is exciting. (laughs) 
Continue. And so, I have news this month Mm -hmm. that the Icelandic Tourist Board are here to help us out. I'm so glad it's them. Via their new website dedicated to de-stressing the world called lookslikeyouneediceland.com <laughs> which offers you the opportunity to scream your lungs out virtually at a half a dozen different scenic spots in Iceland. Wait, what? What you do is you go to the website and there are a half a dozen pictures that they provide mm-hmm. and you can hit a button on any of those pictures mm. which says tap to scream and record a scream into your computer yeah. that they will then play out through a big <gasps> yellow cab in that location oh. and record it for you and send back a video. That's bloody amazing. <laughs> that is so much better than anything I thought it would be. Oh, my God. Okay, first question, obviously, is would we be the first ones to record a sign sweep to try to get some sort of modelled reverb out of each of these locations? Because that is exactly what I want to do. I mean, they suggested that you could record whatever you wanted, but I'm assuming they must have someone vetting for obscenities and things. You would hope so. Well, some incredible polyglot as well. This is globally available. Oh, yeah. Oh, I want to do this so bad. Right, now, let's look at some of the locations, right? Yes, please. You have a glacier-topped volcano. Oh. You have bleak coastal cliffs. Uh, you have a huge golden sanded beach. There's a remote coastal port village. <laughs> a ruin strewn island off the coast of Reykjavik. Yes. And the highlight of the set, the enormous Skogafoss waterfall. Oh, yes. 25 metres wide and 60 metres high. The same waterfall, in fact, that appears in... Thor the Dark World in Game of Thrones and in The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, but I think they don't advertise that as much. I know, I feel like that's going to be on the back of the brochure rather than necessarily the front. Now, you know, a lot of media outlets have picked up this story. Mm, I'd, I'd hope so. And I do sometimes despair of the lack of curiosity amongst mainstream journalists <laughs> because there's so much more to find out about this story. Just the locations themselves, like the remote coastal port village, happens to be where they've recorded the highest ever temperature in Iceland. And can you guess what it is? Well, I know that in the summers it can get very pleasant in Iceland. Is is it kind of around 30 degrees? It is 30 and a half degrees. That's the hottest temperature ever recorded. (laughs) Furthermore, 30 degrees has only ever happened five times since records began in the 19th century. Oh, my (laughs) word. No wonder they have such amazing taste in knitted sweaters. And I wonder whether it's the fact that this is the most tropical, balmy area of Iceland. (laughs) That apparently this town is also a beacon town of the slow movement. How does that work? I mean, I don't know much about it, but it's basically this idea of... Living life at a slower pace, mm-hmm. you know, trying to slow everything down and that actually humans are moving too fast. You want to do everything more slowly. Oh. Apparently this is a kind of beacon, slow movement town. I can't help but wonder mm. how this beacon of the take life a little slower, be calm yeah. movement feels about having a large speaker <laughs> put just outside their town through which their government is encouraging people to scream. Well, you see, this is one of my big questions about this site. Mm -hmm. The first thing to say is that clearly they can't be playing them in real time, partly because they have to vet them. Yes. And partly because it's clearly within earshot of this tranquil coastal village. Well, yeah. They must have some kind of agreed time (laughs) when they're allowed to start shouting. Yes, and some time where they are obligated to stop shouting. (laughs) 
indeed. But by extension, would seem reasonable. I mean, you also wonder whether some cheeky members of the town community might just go up and make farting noises when your oh. <laughs> thing's being played. That's the point. I mean, wouldn't you go play some maracas or something? <laughs> <laughs> that would be the most loving troll I have ever heard of. It would undoubtedly improve everything that was attempting to happen. They're screaming at a waterfall, though. Oh, yeah. And not just any waterfall. It's also appeared in two Bieber-related music videos. No. Really? Yep. There's the video for his song, I'll Show You, okay. which was filmed at various scenic places in Iceland, <laughs> including this waterfall. Okay, why not? And honestly, he's making such a tit of himself, kind of just jumping around and skateboarding along the road, and also apparently caused a bit of uh, an uproar in Iceland because he was treading over a whole bunch of endangered moss. Oh, Bieber. <laughs> In the process. Oh, Justine, what are you doing? And then he did it again. Because Major Lazer's Cold Water, mm. their video, has dancers dancing around various places in Iceland, including this waterfall again. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of satisfying to hear. Are you familiar with Pansori singing? Pansori? No, no, never heard of this. No reason why you should be. It's a Korean singing style, and it is okay. incredibly raw and incredibly loud. Mm. It's not an easy thing to become, and part of the training is a minimum... Does it involve stubbing your toe? You need to be thinking bigger, Mike. You need to be thinking <laughs> oh, right. so much more extreme. So you start with a sort of Bon Iver-style isolation pledge. You oh, right. go out into the wilderness by yourself for at least 100 days. Wow. Crumbs. Yeah. And while you are out, you need to find the biggest waterfall you can. Okay. And you have to sing against the waterfall until you drown it out. Wow. It is not uncommon for trainees as they are learning to bleed from their mouths. But Whoa. the sound that's achieved is like nothing you will ever have heard before. This is Korean pansori singing. Oh, I cannot go fast enough to YouTube on this one. <laughs> hey, well, take this as revenge for all the things that you've made me want to Google. <laughs> yeah, it is mind-blowing sounds. And yet, the, a key part of the training is singing against waterfalls. But the other big question I have about this whole thing is that mm -hmm. why aren't more places doing this? Yes. I mean, who wouldn't want to play, like, a big gong in the Grand Canyon? Or, oh, or goodness. Sitar in the Taj Mahal or, like, <laughs> metal guitar riffs at Stonehenge. I mean, oh, my, that last one hits home very hard. Well, it's good that it does. I'm pleased that it resonates with you because <laughs> this actually brings me on to a second news story. Oh, yes. I mean, we know what Stonehenge sounds like now. You know, you could go there, you could do test recordings, uh, take measurements, but that doesn't really tell you what it sounded like back in its heyday 4,000 years ago. I mean, look, sorry to be such a buzzkill here, but I'm going to assume very similar to how... I mean, the nature of acoustics hasn't fundamentally changed, surely. But the nature of the stone ring has. Oh, that's true. There were many more stones than there are now. Hmm. But never fear. Archaeoacousticians at the University of Salford... Oh, yes, they have. <laughs> ...have been on a quest to find out. <laughs> In which they created, and I am not joking, they created a one-twelfth scale, two-and-a-half-metre diameter model of Stonehenge. Oh, I'm so glad these people exist. Using a combination of 3D printing and silicon moulding, <laughs> based on detailed CAD software models created by Historic England. Mm -hmm. And then they put that in an anechoic chamber to test its acoustic properties. As, you know, you routinely do with scale models of concert halls or opera houses and things like that. Yes. And in the process, 
have eliminated the blindingly obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Do tell. Well, if you were going to just think off the top of your head, what would you expect to happen in a whacking great ring of stones? Well, okay, so first off, I'd expect a lot of the noise to just, like, vanish up into the air. Uh, yes. Um, and then what did come back would be very bright. And, it, it again, it wouldn't last long because it'll get out the gaps. So it would be a bright, intense, short reverb. That's pretty good, yeah. One of the things they found was basically there's a short, uniform, well-diffused 0.6-second reverb. Okay, yeah. There are no clear echoes, as you'd expect. There are so many different reflective surfaces. Yeah. And that aids speech projection anywhere in the in the Ring of Sounds. Yes, yes. You know, basically, as you'd expect in a field full of massive reflectors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And also, you know the idea of an acoustic parabola? No, tell me. You know those microphones they use for picking up the sound of footballers on football fields? Yes. They have this large, like, metre-wide parabolic dish with a microphone at the focal point. Oh, yes, like the spy microphone sort of things. Exactly. Yes, okay. Well, it has a similar effect in any circular kind of structure, that there'll be a focal point of the circle. Oh. And the sound inside the circle will reflect back into the circle. Okay. So you'll get an increase in just level inside the ring. That, that makes sense. It's a bit like in amphitheatres and stuff, right? And sure enough, you get up to like 10 dB increase in the sound projection inside the ring of stones. That's kind of cool. But again, as you'd expect in any partial acoustic parabola. <laughs> yeah. Another of their astounding conclusions was that the audibility of sounds outside the ring would be reduced inside the ring. And the audibility of sounds inside the ring will be reduced outside the ring. Yes. As you'd expect in a field full of obstacles. Now, wait. <laughs> is what you're telling me that having a barrier in between you and something makes it quieter if you're on one side of the barrier than if you're on the same side of the barrier as the... I know it's hard to grasp. I know. You know, I, I'm, I'm struggling. I won't lie. This is slightly blowing my mind. But, but yes. I mean, there were a few interesting things they found out. Mm -hmm. One of them was that they tested to see whether in a ring of stones like that you'd get a similar kind of whispering gallery effect that you get in St Paul's Cathedral. See, that would be amazing. And like Grand Central Station. Yeah, so so for, for anyone who doesn't know, this is a special point where you can stand and, and make very quiet noises which are broadcast to the entire space because of some sort of acoustic magicness. You kind of have to stand on the boundaries. Yes. But you can like talk in whispers from one side of the St Paul's Cathedral dome gallery to the other side because of this effect. Acoustic magic. Um, but it doesn't do this at Stonehenge. Okay. Because there are gaps between the stones, it creates diffusions and reflections and stuff. Right. So that's the one thing that isn't blindingly obvious as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but there are questions it doesn't answer. Okay. Now this is something I've wanted to know about Stonehenge ever since I heard about it. Okay. Apparently Stonehenge hums in a strong wind. Oh, oh, okay. Is that not the most exciting sonic thing you've ever heard about Stonehenge? Yes. Now, I didn't realise this, but this is actually mentioned in Tess of the D'Urbervilles. Really? Yeah. There's a passage in Thomas Hardy's Tess of the D'Urbervilles where Tess and Angel go to visit Stonehenge and hear the humming of the stones. Okay, because... That means that Stonehenge is a massive Aeolian harp. Or something. Or something. The stones themselves apparently are meant to be slightly resonant. Really? I was assuming it was just the air. I think some of the stones that are there are of the specific type that are called sounding stones that resonate. Right, screw this. Mike, I think I'm a druid now. They spent a huge amount of money and time and 3D printing effort and stuff 
to illuminate all the questions I didn't have. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've not been able to find a single audio file of the humming of Stonehenge. Where are the researchers? <laughs> Get out of your acoustic bloody chambers and go record the thing. I want to hear it. This has to be a Project Studio tea break field trip, no? I mean, <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Like, let's do it. Let's wait for like some storms to be blowing in. Good, consistent wind. Head down to uh, is it Cornwall? Oh, okay. So a bit of research required, <laughs> but we'll, uh, we'll we'll figure it out. That is incredible. But wait, okay. So here's my big question, though. You got all these boffins, these eggheads, yeah, who've done this research and have defined the. Mm. Have they then published a frequency response? Because for all that it may not be academically fascinating, I would love to just stick a bit of Stonehenge verb on something I'm working on. Well, I mean, this is why I think there's a massive untapped market in location overdubbing services. Yeah. I mean, it's the perfect kind of tourism, particularly for Stonehenge, because not only would it not damage the stones, mm. but it would also keep, like, animals away from it. <laughs> Wouldn't it? And it might, you know what, it might keep the tourists away too, and that would then probably benefit it too. But this seems to be especially timely at the moment, you know, when people cannot crowd into particular buildings. Mm. I mean, where do we stop? I would love to have, I'd love to have something recorded in St Paul's Cathedral. Yes. Uh, who must be having off days at the moment, inside the National Gallery's main hall, inside, oh my goodness, inside the Museum of Natural History. Their main auditorium has a beautiful sound. But also, the thing about those spaces is that they're not just about the impulse response. Right, it's also about saying that you did. No, it's also about, like, the Icelandic ones. If you listen to some of the recorded ones, they have a few up on their website. Mm. And you don't just hear acoustic environment, you hear lots of background noise as well. Well, mm. the background noise of the space. Oh, interesting. So you hear the wind, you hear the, the wildlife, you hear... And each recording is different as a result. Because mm. it's a different time of day, different time of... And maybe, it, you know, on some of these services, you could say, oh, I want to play that at this time of day, they'd have little slots. Yes. <laughs> I mean, they do that with rack equipment, don't they? They say, run your track through my vintage Pultec and I'll send it back to you. Yep. They have those services. Why not with spaces? Run this through my cool neighbourhood. And I'll send it back to you. Yeah. Run this through my local metalworking factory. <laughs> the problem is, I'm trying to think of something facetious to say, but this idea just appeals to me really deeply. Yeah. As usual, the Icelandic people are on the bleeding edge. Way ahead of us all. Now, this Stonehenge story it doesn't stop giving. Oh, wonderful. Like, for example, this is my favourite detail of the whole research. Mm -hmm. Because they were needing to make the sounds in scale with the replica, mm. they had to play all their test frequencies 12 times the frequency. Right, okay. So basically what you have is you have noises that only bats can hear in a scale model of Stonehenge. It's basically <laughs> an Ozzy Osbourne bat trap. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Mike, this, as you say, it just doesn't stop giving. And have you heard of Manhattan Henge? Manhattan Henge? No, I don't think I have. This is what they call it when the sunrise and sunset align with the street grid of Manhattan. <gasps> I have heard about this. And because it's not exactly aligned in the way that Stonehenge is, it doesn't happen just once a year, it happens twice on either side of the solstice. Oh, wow. So it happens four times a year, twice in spring, twice in autumn. Oh, God, I'd love to see that. They also have a Chicago henge and a Toronto henge by the same token. By the same logic. But king of all the city and town henges for me... Oh, yeah. ...is that capital of rock and roll. 
Milton Keynes. Oh, dear me. (laughs) Tell me more, he said tentatively. Milton Keynes, unlike a lot of towns, was planned. It was built from the ground up. Mm -hmm. And the designers, while they were building it, realised that their initial plans for the street grid were just a little bit off the exact line that would allow it to line up with the street grid on the two solstices. Mm. So they went to the Greenwich Observatory asked them to tell them exactly how it should line up, and changed the grid so that it does. Oh, my word. So Milton Keynes, their main street, lines up exactly with the sun on the solstice. Twice a year. It is a living Stonehenge. You know what? I never thought I'd say the words, I want to go to Milton Keynes. I want to see this. (laughs) I really do, though. As we come to the end of our cups of tea, what finer farewell could there be than a crunch of wholemeal, mm. lightly toasted toast? <laughs> but, Hang on, you don't toast toast, you toast bread. I'm doing a foley, <laughs> Michael. Sorry, I mean, I mean, that's it. We've lost the focus now. We've lost the moment. Lightly toasted toast, I will admit, Makes no sense at all. <laughs> Unless you want it to be more heavily toasted. Oh, anyone who's ever double toasted <laughs> knows that that's just a recipe for burnt bread. Yeah. No, but the last word has to be toast. Lightly breaded toast? <laughs> bread which through light toasting has become to... Because there's, there's something equally unsatisfying about the sentence, lightly toasted bread. Because then you're finishing on bread. And bread is a wet word. Yeah, it sounds soggy. Um... A lightly toasted jam carrier, (laughs) platform, wheat disc. What, you have round bread? Some people do. The French. Oh my God, I've just realised we need to start branching out. It has to be toasted bread. Mm. But let's start doing foley's for flatbreads. Yes. For pitters. Yeah. For tortillas. Mm. Yeah, this is the next step. But for today, we're going to say distinctly home counties. And if you'll pardon me for a moment, I just need to butter this slice of perfectly crisp toast. <laughs> you, know, you know what's particularly good about it? <laughs> that, That's nothing. Is that I heard the foley, and then I heard your snort of amusement and thought... Oh, that's not of amusement. It sounds more like toast than the Foley did. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> Listeners, it wasn't actually toast. Here's the big reveal. I know it's incredible to believe. That was the worst toast Foley I or possibly anyone has ever done. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a strong field, but yes. There is a large part of me. Namely my ego, which wants to try a different one. But for the point of the art, for the point of posterity, no, that is this month's Toast Foley. We accept your discontinued listenership effective immediately. <laughs> You'll fall on your own microphone. But the low quality of the toast will surely be offset by some truly delicious jam. The problem with this jam, Mike, is that it is in some really revolting packaging. Oh, right. Now, if I say to you, chilled out, contemporary, okay, saxophone-led instrumental music. My skin is crawling already, yeah. 
Right. Is there a particular artist who comes to mind? Oh, it has to be Jan Garbarek. <laughs> See, he's <laughs> he's uh, not the first person I thought of. Uh, for me, this is the domain of Kenny G. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I didn't think you could sink that low. Hey, hey, bear <laughs> with me, everyone. I promise there is an uptick coming. <laughs> but yeah, that for me, that's the purveyor of contemporary chilled out saxophone-led instrumental music. Now... This was the first thought in my mind when I was recommended to Cy and Lee Instrumentals Volume 1 by Alabaster de Plume. Uh, okay. And Alabaster de Plume is a Manchester musician and, and spoken word artist. Mm. But all I was told was that in this album, he just played saxophone. Okay. There were no voices. And that it was beautifully relaxing. Okay. It will tell you something about the respect I hold for the person who did this recommendation that after assuring them that I'd have a listen, I actually did. Blimey, why break the habit of a lifetime? I, oh God, <laughs> you jest. <laughs> and this is one of the most uncomplicatedly gorgeous albums I've heard in the longest time. Oh, wow. It is not, nor does it ever try to be, jazz. Okay. It's not really classical, although his playing does have as much of a foot in the classical saxophone world as the jazz. Mm. And if anyone hasn't heard classical saxophone, normally it sounds really weird and awful. <laughs> it's this sound that you're so used to sounding funky and fresh and loose and easy. Yeah. Sounding all regimented and wobbly. and Weird. So many reasons I shouldn't like this album. <laughs> but I do. And it's no mystery why I do. It's just stunning melodies. Bon Iver has actually sampled him already. Yeah. And this is a, a relatively new album, I think. Have you had a chance to have a listen yet? Now, in the marketing world, mm -hmm. they talk about targeting certain demographics, right? <laughs> <laughs> Go on with your unqualified praise of this music. And if you were the PR department for this particular record, mm. you managed to put together a whole bunch of different things that slowly have ratcheted up the sense that this is the last piece of music in the world I'd want to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've used a lot of the kind of the I now degrade language. I have actually. It's just melody uh -huh. with this beautiful chilled out accompaniment. So I was getting strong flashbacks of guys sitting on icebergs playing the piano, right? <laughs> your, your toes were curling already. <laughs> then you slipped in the name Kenny G. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm beginning to palpitate. This guy is fighting an uphill battle. And getting that light sweats appearing on my forehead. Uh-huh. That's nothing to do with being hot. The cold, cold sweat of fear, yes. And then I listened to it, and it is beautiful. Mm. It's like you've sold me on this image of something that is totally different than what I heard. Isn't it insane? Yeah. And I was asking myself as I was listening, you're like, it's got all these components. How would I have described it to convince myself to listen to it? <laughs> <laughs> if you had travelled back in time yeah. and say, quick, we haven't got long, but... So is it Kenny G playing the sax there? No, it's, it's Alapasta de Plume, oh. to be 100% clear. Okay, right. God, no, that would cause a deep schism in my mind and I would never listen to music again. <laughs> um, there is no good, there is no bad, there is only darkness. Yes. Relativism will eat the world. Precisely would be my kind of <laughs> mental state at that point. But the funny thing is, you know, at the risk of moving into our core territory of Project Studio, mm. I think the production on it and the way it's produced is absolutely critical to uncheesing any of the elements. Right. You know, that same music could have been recorded and produced in a way 
that would have probably turned me off mm. before I'd listened to it enough. So w- what are you hearing in the production? It's almost got a slightly ASMR quality to it. Mm-hmm. It feels like you're a little bit too close to all the instruments, which is kind of what you want. Yeah. Because I mean, if you imagine, I'm trying to imagine my like worst sweat-soaked nightmare of a Kenny G chill-out album, right? Mm-hmm. Everything's like swathed in these long reverbs. <laughs> there are these kind of generic JV1080 synth pads wafting around. There's some guy hitching a kit that, Sounds like it's made of plastic and 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 has big, <laughs> big long dreamy reverbs and delays and things on it, right? Mm-hmm. And all of it is very distant and meant to be very lush and and huge and widescreen. Whereas this is practically up your nostril. Mm. It sounds so close, you know. And the, all the sounds are being played almost as if they're trying not to play too loudly to not disturb the neighbours. Oh yes, I so hear that. And so you get all these lovely mechanical noise and stuff. It feels like intimate. It's like, don't tell anyone we're playing this gig just for you inside your nostril. <laughs> you know? Yes. I mean, that immediately just de-cheeses it. It grates off all the cheese. Yeah, because it feels so close. It reminds me, actually, very much of Tom Waits. I can absolutely hear that. And of an album that I really love called Blood Money. Mm. And everything sounds real, is the point. I don't know how they created it or whether it was overdubbed or whatever, but it just sounds like real instruments being scraped with real physical things and having real bits of spit blown into them. And it's like the polar opposite of everything that Kenny G stands for. Mm. You know, Kenny G, you can imagine him practicing his sax and going, you know, oh no, there was a little bit of a split on that note. I must smooth that out. And oh no, you can hear my breath coming through the sax. I'll ask the engineer to put the mic somewhere else so we just get this clean, pure... Kenny Genus. You're right. Like, part of what I love about this recording, and I hadn't thought about it in terms of production, you hear the breath, you hear the sound of the key, the felted keys hitting the instrument. Yes. And it's not invasive, but it is very, um, yeah. I don't know if there's a vulnerability to it or as he's just said, it's just a realness. It feels like it's fragile. It feels like they wouldn't have chosen to leave it that way unless they just recorded something authentic. It's just, it's, it's maximum authenticity. Yeah. There are, like, there are bits of slightly odd pitching in the, in the, the sax. There's bits where the kind of bow scrapes and where the, the note doesn't quite speak in, in certain things. And all of that says, we took it as it was as a whole thing. You see, this is something I think about in general about acoustic instrument recording, is that when you're recording an acoustic instrument, I much prefer it when you get it with all its bits in there. Yes, orange juice with the bits left in. Yeah, so it's not like you're just trying to get this mythical sax tone out of it that's supposed to be completely clean and free of all the stuff around it. It's the stuff around it that makes you believe that it's a real thing and there's a real person playing it and there are real emotions and there's real time happening. Mm. It's not like it's been chopped into bits and assembled. It might have been, No. but if they have, they've done it in a way that allows me to suspend my disbelief. (laughs) Yes, there you go. Even if it's true that it has been incredibly produced, it's somehow been made to feel as if it hasn't. There is a recording of... Love a Manor, Where Can You Be? The Old Jazz Standard by Charlie Parker. Okay. And it's the recording he was most ashamed of in his career. Oh, right. Because he was so off his head on drugs. Really? <laughs> I, I know. Of all people. Shattering my illusions. And you can hear him kind of struggling to get through the, the head. Oh, right. And then he kind of breaks into a solo and someone in his band kind of shouts him to kind of, come on! And that's when he kind of gets some of the energy back. And he, <laughs> But every single note is beautiful because he's shown up, because you can hear the struggle in the piece. Yeah. And it reminds me a little bit of this here. Mm. 
Someone is who's really brilliant at an instrument is just feeling feelings on it. And is not doing everything that they can on the instrument. It's not showing off. Mm. They're just so good that anything that they want to feel on the instrument, they do. I mean, I, I don't even quite think that in this case. Mm. I don't come away thinking, what a brilliant sax virtuoso here. Right. I just think how effectively it works as a method of communicating those emotions at that time. It might be that if you wanted him to do some happy jaunty piece, he'd be hopeless at it. <laughs> but it's just, it fits, you know. In fact, I'm thinking now back over the album, and I don't think there is any what you traditionally call virtuosic music, and I think maybe that's important. I think it is. Because I'm just imagining now, what if two-thirds of the way through he went, right, bebop. <laughs> And it wouldn't be the same. Now, do you have a Kenny G album? You know what? I don't have in the house I currently live any albums. Well, I think that's a good thing because I think it's possible if you stuck this CD on top of a Kenny G CD, there might be a big explosion and the world would end. I think that's more than likely true. <laughs> it is kind of anti-Kenny G. I tell you what, though, I have been resisting listening to any Kenny G since I discovered this album. Yeah. In case what's actually happened is not that music's got better, it's just that I've got older. <laughs> and I'm now at that age where I'm like, what? Kenny G is just a brilliant musician feeling feelings on an instrument. Yeah. It was all melody. It's, and, you know, <laughs> I'm not prepared to learn that about myself. Yeah. On the note of virtuosity, though, I will say my first instrument was alto sax. I haven't played in a few years. You're kidding me? Yeah. That was your first instrument? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I'm trying to think, have I ever heard you play... I mean, I've, I, well, obviously, I've heard you play several wind instruments at once on your TikTok channel, but <laughs> I've never heard you play a reed instrument. That's fascinating. Yeah, so that was where I started. I mean, I should have thought it, really. It's the obvious step from there to dulcimer. <laughs> it's, a, it's a feeder instrument. Yeah. It's kind of like the chanter going into bagpipes. You, you mm -hmm. don't start on dulcimer. You get a few years on, on the saxophone first. And in case there were any doubt for a listener listening, this guy is a saxophone virtuoso. To play that quietly, ah. to break your tone in such a controlled way, yeah. to have mastery of breath and vibrato in that way, it's not flashy, but it is remarkably skilled. There's a level of control in knowing how your instrument breaks up. Mm -hmm. It's the control of being out of control. To be able to hold it on that edge and let it drift past and pull it back. Basically, it speaks of hours and hours of trying to get it to break up and crashing and burning and going, <laughs> okay, I won't push it that far this time. It's an odd thing, though, because so I haven't played saxophone for seven years now. Wow. It's been a while. But I would say I, or any three-year student of the instrument, could well recreate any one-second sample of his playing mm. that you want to get. Now, if we had enough shots at it, I could get a breathy, warbly, rough D in the same way as him. Yeah. But doing two of them in a row <laughs> without a break, like, this is where the difficulty starts to exponentially rise. Yeah. It's interesting because I think that means you have this kind of visceral, personal connection with this piece that goes a little bit beyond just what's there on the musical surface. Because mm. you're feeling it in terms of knowing the actual physicality of what goes into producing that kind of sound that I couldn't possibly know as a listener. This is the truest thing I think I've ever learned. I could not stand contemporary dance until I went out and I took a class and I realised how hard it was to tell my hand to move. Right. And now I can enjoy it. Mm. There is no area of endeavour 
where learning a bit about how it's done, even if I never reach any level of achievement in it, doesn't give me so much more pleasure and appreciation Mm, mm. of witnessing it done well. In fact, it reminds me of one of my earliest jams, actually, back in the mists of time, the Goat Rodeo Sessions. Yes. Because I have a similar thing with that. Yeah. And and it actually has quite a similar approach beyond the fact that these are guys who are much slicker in their their projection. Mm. But it's this sense of being able to hear all the mechanical noises and stuff in it, because of the recording technique, mm. but also of knowing how difficult that is mm. from having tried to play those instruments yeah. and know how tough it is to put that kind of stuff together. And you go, oh my God, it makes it more breathtaking because you don't just assume, well, of course it'll all be in tune, of course it'll all be in time. It's like, no, no they're doing it like that. I know how <laughs> difficult it is. Oh, the other thing I've got to talk about with this production. Yes, please. The noise. It's actually quite noisy. Interesting. And I love that about it. It's the same thing that you get with some old classical records as well, Mm. is that you know when the track fades in, you hear this pillow kind of inflating, and then the piece finishes, and then there's this gap where you're just appreciating this kind of fluffy gauze of noise, and then it folds down into silence. (laughs) Fluffy gauze of noise is my new band name. My (laughs) God. This month is a very special month. Extremely special. Occasionally, tea breaks come with a ginger snap at the end. A specialty tea. One of those ones in the little sachets. Yes, maybe you're on tour and you're you're at a hotel and they've got these little biscuits and you think to yourself, why not? Push the boat out. Well, we've got one of those for you today. Namely, we are going to, in front of you... No safety net. Yes, this is actually a live broadcast. Well done. You caught it at just the right moment. (laughs) We are going to brainstorm our line of Project Studio Tea Break merchandise. TM. TM. Oi, (laughs) everyone else, stop trying to market things as Project Studio Tea Break merchandise. (laughs) It's rude, hurtful, and just confusing, if I'm honest. I'm Mm. not sure what you get from this. Mm. So we've both had a little think. I have no idea what Mike has got. Right. Mike, blessed innocent that he is, has no idea what I've come up with. (laughs) I sleep better at night for this reason. (laughs) You have done in the past. That's all about to end. Yes. Do you want to take the floor, Mike? Do you want to go first? Well, I mean, I I didn't know whether you were going to go for product ideas or slogans or... Oh, I have been as creative as I know how to be with slogans and as derivative as anyone could be with product ideas. So all of mine are (laughs) things that would go on a mug, t-shirt or cloth face mask. Yeah, a cloth face mask, of course. You can have a picture of your mouth eating a hobnob. (laughs) I hadn't thought of that one. How about you? Where where has your brain... Initially, of course, I was heading towards slogans. Mm. And, you know, thinking of it almost like fake radio stuff, like the refreshing sound of toast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really into the refreshing sound of toast. I think that's got to be a mug. You can tell I was thinking about it over breakfast, can't you? (laughs) That I absolutely can. Okay, let me lead with my favourite of the moment. Okay. Which means it's going to be downhill from here. (laughs) Given that, cloth face masks go straight over the mouth like that. Yeah. I wanted one that just said... Errol is listening. (laughs) Right over your own mouth. (laughs) 
Because he always is. I mean, immediately I'm thinking of a variation. Would you just have a face mask that has the word beep written on it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but could it please be in square brackets? Yes. (laughs) I I do like the face mask idea, particularly because you could have a larger face mask that has the face palm hand on it. Yeah, oh gosh, there's so many things to do. You could have a palm-shaped face mask. I'm going to start, I mean, I know we're literally recording these into a computer. I'm going to start writing things down. <laughs> I love the half-eaten biscuit. Yes. There are lots of potential master designs here, I think. Yeah. I mean, the face palm angle, I think, is, is, a, is a rich vein. It's a, definitely a rich vein. Another strap line, I thought. Balm for your ears, palm for your face. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, just that and the logo. Yeah. That's kind of enough said, isn't it? <laughs> or speak to the palm. Speak to the palm. <laughs> because I have made a horrible mistake. A t-shirt that just says Master Breaker. Oh, yes. Is hard to overrate. (laughs) Or maybe we could get our most goofy smiling pictures (laughs) in little circles and then just caption it Master Breakers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like that a lot. I think we might already have those in the archives. From our one podcast photo shoot, which we did forever and a half ago. And very much mystified the owners of that coffee shop. (laughs) Yes. I, I think so. They weren't expecting the live tigers, but I really think... I mean, with hindsight, I kind of feel we should have got their pictures. <laughs> <laughs> the reaction was great. Did you... Oh, God, this reminds me of my favourite White Stripes story. Oh, right. That not wanting to do a publicity tour, they hired two people who looked like them <gasps> and sent them on a nationwide publicity tour. Wonderful. Isn't that... So Jack White. Totally Jack White, you're right. Here's another one I've got. Okay, yeah, far away. This one is... Uh, just something that made me giggle. Mm. Um, on a t-shirt, on the front of a t-shirt, you just say, sorry for the delay. Mm. And on the back, in increasing small text, it says, delay, delay, delay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that a lot. That's lovely. <laughs> and that is such a niche studio joke. <laughs> right. That's why it appeals to me so much. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, it has a little bit of the same appeal to me of some of my favourite kind of visual jokes. Oh, yeah. Which is that you see something that you're curious about and then it draws you in and then slaps you around the face when you're really close. <laughs> yes. It's like there's a picture on my wall when you, when you walk into my studio room mm. that is mostly empty frame. Mm-hmm. And then just down towards the right-hand corner, you can see this little fuzzy creature with little legs and he's holding a teacup. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see that there's some kind of little speech bubble. Oh. And so you kind of go in, you go in closer and closer, and then it just says, what up? Oh, <laughs> that's absolutely lovely. Yes, that is the vibe. That has got to be on the shortlist. That is such a good idea. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I just wish that we owned the rights to Iron Audi's image. Oh. Because I want to Photoshop his head onto some luchador, some wrestler, and just have an Iron Audi grudge match. <laughs> Line, whole, whole label, everything in Iron Audi Grudge Match. Unfortunately, I don't think we own his image. Oh, but we could oh, yeah. do it as a cartoon. You know, that's true. It could be us fighting it out on top of Iron Audi's piano while he's on top of his iceberg. <laughs> while he's playing. If, look, if we have any illustrators listening, <laughs> and any illustrators who want to draw that, of all things, of all the things you could do with your time, please do get in touch. There is a t-shirt waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, you may be an expert illustrator. I, I have never seen your sketches. I've seen mine. So I, I know how inappropriate that would be. But I've never actually seen yours. Are you, a, are you a secret visual artist? Well, no, but we have an artist in the house. And now we have our acoustic sideburns t-shirt design still on hand. <gasps> oh, my goodness. 
I mean, to me, I'll be honest, to me, that's a poster. Oh, right. Because I don't want to complicate it with folding fabric or anything. That is something that just needs to be seen. <laughs> I think that's amazing. That'd be great on a T-shirt as well. I also wonder whether maybe we could mock up some fake sponsor ads. Oh, yes, some fake sponsored T-shirts. Mm. It would probably be too much of a challenge for the printers, but I love the idea of a T-shirt that looked like one of those NASCAR jumpsuits almost, you know, when they have 30,000 different sponsors, oh, but like every yes. single sponsor somewhere that we have ever had. Well, actually, you know, you could get those badges as merch too. You know, those sew-on cloth badges. Oh my God, <laughs> yes. I, I, would, I would buy us out of house and home. I love little um, or badges and kind of fabric patches. Or a sticker set. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> this is amazing. So we've changed our workload from picking the text to designing 30 convincing but humorous logos. <laughs> this is exactly what this meeting was meant to produce. <laughs> Quick and easy. Love it. And of course, there was the idea that initiated the whole idea of merch in the first place was the potential of doing a toast foley calendar. Yes, 300% yes. Some of the greatest toast folies captured on camera. As science has told us, there are but 12 months in a year. We're going to be having to pick the very best. We would. This month may not even make it in. I mean, why restrict ourselves to the very best? <laughs> I think we need range. Yeah. And I mean, there are some months like February that you, <laughs> you, you, want, to, you want to make a comment on February. <laughs> it's got too few days, so it rushes my workload and it's bloody cold. And then we just put together an effects chain diagram for one of your digital ones. Crumbs, yeah. I could, mm-hmm. I could just do a screenshot. <laughs> ah, this is a good set of stuff. Uh, yeah, I think. We're going to have a full catalogue. All we're saying is that if you wanted to, and you should, you could probably furnish an entire house only with Project Studio Tea Break belongings, which is what we're aiming for. Because, mm. uh, you know, not everything has to be a gut buster. My favourite branded merchandise that I own is stuff that gives a gentle nod to its origins. I'm talking about a mug that just says, earn your tea break, and has our little logo on there. <laughs> or, I mean, have you earned your tea break? That should be on the inside of the mug. Just so <laughs> as, you're, as you're getting ready to drop a tea bag in, you're forced to confront yourself. It guilt trips you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's also on brand because it's passive aggressive. <laughs> yes. Love from John, it could say. <laughs> Love from John, there you go. <laughs> Um, a little patch with Errol saying Tara pets would melt my heart personally. Oh. I'd iron that onto every pair of jeans that I own, <laughs> which is two pairs of jeans. So I'm afraid that's not going to be a huge seller for us. Well, one per leg. Okay, balm for your ears, palm for your face might just be the first verse of our new religious text. <laughs> we will obviously be releasing a Bible. Mm. Um, every podcast has one these days. It's just an administrative thing as much as anything else. Just to establish our cult-like status further. Cult-like? Come on. <laughs> We're basically a cult now. As leaves... Wait, no, I've introduced the last two segments. It's your turn. <laughs> As leaves uh, <laughs> before the wild hurricane fly and meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. That was lovely. Who's that? It's from The Night Before Christmas. Say that to me as if I should know. I know it almost off by heart. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> it's a Christmas tradition. So, as those leaves, Mike, <laughs> our, our listeners are on tenterhooks. Okay, I'll, I'll take that gauntlet that you've thrown down. <laughs> 
Please let this all make the final cut. I'm desperate for this to be how we are finishing our podcast. As the leaves are beginning their turn to their autumnal firework display. Let's go with that. In your face. (laughs) There is still just time for us to squeeze in a shout out to our kind sponsor this month. Sleep Sonics, Mm -hmm. who have realised that there is a gap in the market. I mean, I imagine you, like I, who value our sleep, those few hours that we're able to grab it, don't want blue light to be scrambling our brains and keeping us up. Absolutely not. No, thank you. And Sleep Sonics have realised that the same applies in the audio realm. (laughs) And so their new product, the Blue Noise Filter, is available (laughs) as a speaker and headphone cover. (laughs) Using patented microphone sheeting to remove any traces of blue noise from your audio. I have so many things to say, but I, I, I want to hear more from our wonderful sponsor first. Well, it's particularly important because you may not realise, but digital dither is apparently often based around blue noise. So any digital audio can be interfering with your sleep patterns. I mean, this seems like we need to be active and conscious about getting this out of our lives if we're serious about rest and health. I take it also that it will filter out flattened thirds in major contexts. I think maybe they need a suggestions box for new potential audio filters you can add. Certainly, no guitar ostinatos are going to make their way through this filter. Nor Any earworms that would keep you up humming them. Yes, nor kind of melancholic reflections. I mean, I have been speaking with their R&D department mm. um, because obviously I was fascinated by this new technology. And they said they are actually working on a new version of this product that is specifically designed to certain music styles. And so far, they've just been able to train it because it's AI related, of course, like all good products. Of course, probably blockchain as well. They've so far trained it on people like, you know, Katy Perry, okay. Britney Spears, and they're thinking that they might call this the pop filter. Oh, God. <laughs> 30 episodes and I still don't see it coming. <laughs> yeah, you got me. You 300% got me. Now, if you fancy more nonsense of this high grade, <laughs> then do please head over to our Patreon campaign where, well, first of all, the headline is that we have the official audio evidence of last month's most glorious horse-stampeding facepalm. It was so traumatic to dig that up again. It is truly unmissable. <laughs> I genuinely <laughs> cried with laughter when I heard it the oh, first time. Me. Yes, it is up there. Now, by listening to it, oh. you are taking a sacred and binding pledge to never play it to anyone else. Like that is, <laughs> that's implicit in your consuming of that audio. And there is also more about Adam Neely's cat and production secrets of the You've Been Pwned song. Is the song itself up there yet? It isn't. I've left it on TikTok. Do you think I should put it up there as well? Why not? I mean, you could make it an unlisted YouTube video if you wanted to get the visuals up there as well. I think that is <laughs> very worth doing. But, you know, up there at the moment, this is now episode 30. When you join, you'll get access to hours mm. and hours of bonus content. So if you are listened up to date and fancy a little bit more, if you're that kind of masochist, <laughs> then this could absolutely be the thing for you. Um, if you'd like to get in touch, you can always... Tweeted us on PSTB tweets. You can always Facebook us at PSTB books. Can we be emailed, Mike? As it happens, <laughs> you can type in tea break at projectstudio, tea break.com and it goes with arrow like accuracy 
directly into the bullseye of my email. And we were going to um, announce the caption competition this month before realising that obviously the way we record this means that <laughs> people have had about a week and we'd love to hear more. So that's going to be open for one more month. We'll announce that next episode. So what is going to be on Q Magazine's tombstone? What is going to be up on that tombstone and why? I mean, there's no why. Make it count. This is for posterity. This is for all the marbles. This is honouring the memory of the home of the caption. Um, anything to plug, Mike? Nothing much this month. You got anything? I'm about to go to Poland to work on a acrobatic drag musical based on a Mesopotamian myth. That's <laughs> going to be really fun, but we don't have any performance dates at the moment. So stay tuned. Really... Do you like do this by some kind of random title generator? <laughs> It's like, throw in, like, some Eastern European country names and some weird forms of performance art, and then some... I thought it's been obvious for years. Turn the handle a couple of times, and out pops John's latest project. And then some really, really questionable source material. Yes. Sprinkle a kosher salt and, and Bob's your uncle. Um, yes, I think that's probably how it works. I think God does that, if I'm honest, and I'm just kind of along for the ride. Besides that... <laughs> It's been a pleasure having your ears tuned to our rantings and we'll look forward to seeing you next month. It's been a pleasure to have your ear on my mouth. <laughs> Ta-ra, pets! ta